Well, today we're going to be in the book of Titus. This is a letter from a church planter to a church planter. It's the only one that we have of its kind. And so if you want to open your Bible to that book in the New Testament, uh, that would be a good timing. As we continue to grow in our understanding of what living bold means, it's our heart to see new leaders, new churches. I felt like this book in particular, uh, is quite relevant to where we are in our history. Titus lives on the island of Crete. If you know your Bible, you might say, well, wait a minute, why not Timothy? Timothy was Paul's protege. Timothy was Paul's mentee. Timothy is the name of a child in our church. Why wouldn't we go through Timothy? And I would just say simply that um, Timothy worked among more established churches. Uh, What makes Titus unique is that while Timothy pastored in Vatican City, if you will, Titus pastors in Vegas. It is one of the most immoral groups of people. Not only that, but Crete is home to piracy in the Mediterranean. If you could imagine, uh, Mediterranean, if you could imagine uh, pastoring, planting a church and having the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, cast as your parishioners, that's kind of what it was like starting this new work. So it's an, an interesting book uh, to take a look at, to, to uh, see what God uh, might teach us. Everybody, historians tell us on the island, stayed drunk. Can anybody say Jack Sparrow? Okay, this is what we're looking at. The Apostle Paul even said to Titus, quoting a Cretan prophet, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. How many of you say that sounds like my neighbors? Anybody know? Okay, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty stark, um, to-the-point um, description of these people. And then he follows that up with saying, uh, this testimony is true. Why would he say that? This testimony is true. He'd say that because Cretans were known for lying. To lie, to deceive, was a virtue. The word Greek, or rather the word Crete, actually meant in the Greek to lie. So you might think of uh, it this way. If you Crete, stop creting. That's what it means to lie. So here's what we read. Um, I would just say this before we get into it. If the question in the minor prophets that is asked of us is, we just got out of uh, five weeks of the minor prophets, how do we confess our sin and turn back to God? The question that Titus demands of us is how do we live out our faith in difficult and immoral places? How do we do that well? Um, This is what uh, he begins uh, saying, not Titus, but rather Paul to Titus in chapter 1, verse 1. Typically, he identifies himself. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. He mentions that word right out of the gate. Knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Truth that leads to godliness. You'll notice that's a recurring theme Uh, throughout this short book, because God's purpose, I think, in part, is to raise up a people, i.e. us, who is for himself, for himself, a God-loving people, a God-like 
people. That is to say that when he saved us, I think in Christian circles, we're always talking about what he saved us from. But I think equally as important, if not more, is what God is saving us to. He's saving us to integrity and to honesty and to faithfulness and and to uh, um, selflessness and, and to peacemaking and so forth. And Paul says that one of the ways to authenticate a false religion from a true religion is how it cultivates godliness in our hearts. Do we look more like God? Or do we look like everyone else? I'm not talking about being a busybody, by the way, with your religious life, a ton of Christian activity. I'm talking about your heart. There's a lot of false teachers around Crete. There's a lot of people who go to church every Sunday. There's a lot of people who learn this and do this and don't do this and don't drink this and use these words and don't use those words. So what we want to do today is show you why the gospel of grace produces a different kind of Christian than the gospel of religion. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, it's the beauty of what was accomplished at Calvary. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance and a transformed heart. No quickness of feet, no grit or elbow grease or laboring produces the kind of human heart that you desire. It's transformation in response to your goodness. And I just pray that your goodness and not fear and not maybe assumed expectation, but that your goodness would motivate all of us to serve you passionately, compassionately. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul impacts um, this in, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us. Now, before we go any further, the key to interpreting this whole book is how we understand that word it. Because the it of verse 11 in chapter 2 is referring to something in verse 11 of chapter 2. The it of chapter 12 is referring to the grace of God that's mentioned in verse uh, verse 12 and the grace of God is mentioned in verse 11. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Are we talking about in heaven? We're talking about on this earth, in this present age, we're to look different, speak different, act different by his grace. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? Anybody know? Travis? Go to heaven. Heaven is the blessed hope. 
okay? While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorying, uh, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So again, what is the it of verse 12? If I were to ask you, explain how you can become more self-controlled, more upright, more pious, more holy, more sacred, closer to God than you've ever been before, more integrous, playing by the rules both in public and when you're by yourself. How would you do that? Your answer might be a stronger will. Your answer might be more biblical knowledge. I just don't know as much as the guy that sits next to me in church. Your answer might be a better accountability partner or an accountability partner if you don't have one. You might see a better quiet time. If only I read more. If only I, I prayed uh, more. You might say, if only I think about hell more. I might live better. That'll bend me into shape. Here's what Paul's answer is. The grace of God. That's what causes heart transformation. The grace of God is what teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. And the verses we just read show that it kind of focuses the grace. It focuses our attention in three places. In verse 13, we look up. Travis got it. We're waiting on Jesus to come back. In verse 14, then, we look not up but, but back at the cross and what he's done for us. And then, and I think the latter half of verse 14, we look forward in anticipation in this life of him purifying us. Upwards to God in his glory. Backwards to the price he paid for sin. And then forward at what he's making us into. Uh, what do we mean when we look upward? The gospel of grace redirects our worship. I learned um, in school that worship means worship or what we place value or priority uh, on. Um, when we uh, when we look at Paul in his writing to the Romans in chapter one, verse twenty three. Um, we remember this original sin that he mentioned of the human heart, the human race, in giving the glory that belonged to God to creative, created uh, things. And they exchanged, do you remember this? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for that of images and, and artifacts. Glory means, again, weight. Um, in other words, humanity gives weight that they're supposed to give to God to other things. Jason and Tammy talked about that this morning. The New Testament word for that word glory means beauty. Do we consider other things more beautiful than God himself? It's a question for us to think about. Matt uh, Papa in, in his book called Look and Live said that, that sin is simply worship misdirected. 
he said, we begin to worship, or rather we never begin to worship. We are born worshipers like breathing. We just aim at some place. And I guess what I'm saying is that we cannot ignore the fact that there is a list of things that we deem essential in life, whether that's farming, whether that's shopping, whether that's dieting, whether it's exercising. Um, we are born to worship something, and, and we call these things in our minds, maybe not necessarily on our lips, as essential to our happiness. Then we arrange our lives around the possession of those things or those hobbies or whatever it is. Paul's saying, in order to change sin at the level of the human heart, not on the exterior, but in the interior, we have to change what we worship. And we have to do it in a way that's going to last. Paul Tripp, he's the theologian with a huge mustache, kind of like John Bolton, if you're familiar with, with, with Mr. Bolton. He said this, if we worship our way into sin, we have to worship our way out of sin. Only grace, not some list of rules, will inspire the transformation of the human heart. Martin Luther, uh, he pointed out this great dilemma in in the great commandment. Uh, The great commandment we know is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, He said, if it were sincere love, would we have to be commanded to do it? I don't know about you, but nobody needs to command me to kiss Shannon. I thoroughly enjoy it. And it's natural because I love her so much. Is it necessary that we're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we gazing upward at the beauty of Jesus? The second thing, we ought to look backward at the cross. The gospel restores our gratitude. In that passage in Romans, if we dial it back a couple verses, Paul said that the people didn't the people that were exchanging um, a relationship with the immortal God and, and were trading it for symbols and artifacts and so forth, that they did not give thanks. Now, we typically don't, maybe you do, I don't typically think of thanklessness as one of the top sins, as something to avoid, as a posture of my heart to, to stay away from. But clearly to Paul, um, he's saying that when we don't tell someone thank you, and I think this goes for God and as well as our neighbors and friends and family members and, and co-workers, we rob them of the glory that belongs to them. We delude it. Or we rather are deluded into thinking that it's, it's about us when we don't express our, our gratitude. Um, we forget that every breath comes from who? From God. We're not promised anything in this life. Um, As uh, Rebecca shared in worship, every gift is from the Father of lights who does not change. Um, So let's get back to Titus chapter 2, verse 14. 
God is purifying a people for his own in his grace in the gospel. God raises his expectations of us by placing us in the state of hunger for the future. Are you guys with me this morning? Still here? Okay. So he's raising his expectations of us by placing us in a state of hunger. John Piper, uh, one of my favorite preachers, um, he said at a conference once, sinlessness, I can almost taste it. And he didn't mean it in a prideful sense. He meant it in that he's perhaps a little older and he's so looking forward to heaven, a place where sin is no more. How many of you can't wait to go to a place where there are no hurtful actions, no hurtful words, you don't have to lock your doors at night. Everybody is, in, is basking in the presence and goodness of God and the fellowship of other believers. It's going to be amazing. And, and what we see here is, is, is an encouragement to, to absolutely long for that to desire that. John the Apostle wrote, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. What are you saying, Pastor? Get to the point. I'm saying when you truly come into contact with the grace of God, you become zealous to do good works. It's not because you have to. It's because you you get to. Jesus loved me. I'm going to respond by loving others. Um, Because here's how Paul describes to this young church planter those of, uh, by contrast, a false religion. You remember what James said? Pure and faultless religion is caring for orphans and widows in their time of need. So, so now Paul's going to tell Titus what bad religion looks like. And this is what he said, verse 10 of chapter 2. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Are those the churched folk or the unchurched folk? Those are the church people. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach and that for the sake uh, and that for the sake of dishonest gain rebuke them Titus sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the commands of those who reject the truth. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. How do you think Paul really feels about that? Here's why religion cannot produce godliness. I tell this to our basic process attendees. Does going to a hen house make you a chicken? Does going to Pizza Hut make you a large pepperoni with extra cheese? Does going to a parking garage make you a car? Religion emphasizes adherence to rules rather than internal transformation of the heart. We read phrases like this from Paul to Titus. Mere words, rituals, commands. 
using God for dishonest gain. If God is the means to an end that is anything but God, that's religion. If I were to ask you, why are you going to heaven? Would you say? And your answer has anything to do with you? That's religion. Here's another way to tell if you're religious. If you snuggle up to sin and just barely don't cross the line into it, or so you think. If you get as closely as you can to stuff that God hates without doing the letter that is written in the Bible on what God hates. I'll tell you this, people that love Jesus, they run as far as they possibly can, as fast as they possibly can, away from sin. They don't entertain it. They don't get near it. Richard Sibbs said, after being transformed by the gospel, the sin itself becomes more loathsome than the punishment for the sin. In other words, when your heart is... Do you remember the the musical Wicked? Did anybody go see that in Chicago or elsewhere? It's my wife Shannon's favorite. She bought the soundtrack. Um, There's a song in there, Loathing, Unadulterated Loathing. The two roommates hate each other. Right? Um, this individual is, is, is saying that, that, that when we become acquainted with the living God, we hate sin more than the punishment of sin. That's pretty powerful. Religion keeps you busy, but religion doesn't curb sin. In fact, Romans teaches us that it exacerbates it the law actually makes us want to sin, ironically, more. The gospel of grace changes that. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion... I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against the one who loved me so. In other words, I scoffed at the idea that I would have thought that I could have ever rebelled against the one that loved me so and sought my good. Do you understand this point? The gospel doesn't say you should not. The gospel says you need not. The gospel doesn't say, don't drink. The gospel says, Jesus gives you a better, more secure refuge than alcoholism. The gospel doesn't say that that you shouldn't have money. The gospel says that Jesus is a better treasure than your money. The gospel says Jesus... The gospel says you should say you shouldn't date anyone. The gospel says Jesus will always be more fulfilling than your 
love than even your spouse. And I'll tell you that, that every, not just the mainliners, every religious tradition loses sight of the value of the grace of God. Just think about it for a minute. We'll go through the list and I'll include our own so that you don't think I'm incriminating your upbringing. But if you were a mainliner, um, Catholic, Presbyterian, so forth and so on, you lit candles, you said prayers, you avoided sin. That's what you were raised up in. If you were a Baptist, you were taught to adhere to a very strict list of rules on, on what it means to be a Christian. If you grew up in the prosperity tradition, you were told that you just live your best life now. And just imagine what life could and, and should be like. Realize your potential, we're told. And just in case you've been deceived by that uh, line of, of thought or that theology, it's not the thought of your new life that transforms the human heart. It's thinking on the greatest life that has ever been lived, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us that transforms our heart. If you were raised Pentecostal, spirit baptism is the answer. But even God's Holy Spirit, he points us toward a gospel of grace. If you grew up Reformed, our Lutheran friends, it's all about an education and learning. And, and if you grew up in a liberal tradition, it's social activism and making changes in the world. Now, all of those things are, don't get me wrong, they're all great and wonderful. But what do they all have in common? They involve works. They involve doing stuff. It's not about, I hope we get it, we've preached this a million times, it's not about what we do. Paul is pleading with this young church planner named Titus. It's kind of a cool name. And he's saying, Titus, remember to tell your people, your pirates, that true revelation of the beauty of God is what changes the human heart. It's God's kindness, not what your Monday through Saturday looks like, that leads us to repentance. You can't give enough to United Way. You cannot help enough old ladies cross the street. It's not even about you. It's about Jesus, and it will always be only about Jesus Christ. Do you remember the words of this song? Would you be free from your passion and pride? What comes next? Go to church. Follow the rules. Does the hymn say that? There's power in the blood, the blood of Jesus. Power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Satan loves 
to promote religion. He loves people to belong to churches that are distracted by everything you ought to be doing and saying. He loves when the third generation is so secure in the fact that my grandmother goes here and my mother goes here and therefore I'm going to ride on their spiritual coattails all the way to heaven's gates. I've heard it said God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. It's only through a direct relationship with the Father. God, so many people, good people, go to my church. They're so philanthropic. I will tell you, it doesn't matter how many good people attend the mill church. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot get in by association. Paul said to Titus, have nothing to do, nothing to do with a counterfeit religion. It's not about devices of man. It's not about institutions. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Amen? Father, we just ask that if there's anyone here this morning that has yet to understand that no measure of piety no bundle of activity can impress you enough to give us heaven. I pray that you would make that so evidently clear this morning that the Bible is full of a different message, a message of grace, a message of confessing our sins and acknowledging that this has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with your goodness, your greatness, your sacrifice, your forgiveness. And I pray that we will respond, Lord, to good works. Salvation by faith, through grace, to good works. Lord, it's not that good works are evil. I pray that our church and our people's lives are full of them. But I pray that we're full even more of the understanding that it is because of you that we are saved and that it is not of ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.